Good morning. My name is Pastor Ransom Kent, and I'm the pastor here at Grace Presbyterian Church. We're so glad you've joined us with our streaming service. Uh, We're going to be finishing up our series in Galatians this morning. We've been there since the beginning of the year, and this morning we'll be focusing on Galatians 6, verses 11 through 18. I'm going to read this passage to you from the English Standard Version. Follow along as I again start in verse 11 of Galatians 6. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Lord, in these uncertain and strange times, we thank you that your word is consistent. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that you would guide me uh, as I preach to no one. Help me to feel the truth of the gospel and to proclaim it in a way that is understandable and accessible. I pray that your name would be glorified. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So a little tidbit about grace. We are a reformed church, which means we uh, adhere to covenant theology, covenant theology. And so, uh, in a sense, what that means is that we believe God has had one eternal plan that, that his people would be saved through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, forever. He's never changed that plan. It's an eternal plan. He will succeed. And so, from the beginning of time, from creation, to the end of time, when it culminates in the return of Jesus Christ, that is God's singular plan. We believe that. We believe that he hasn't changed his plan. He won't change his plan. And again, he will be victorious. So we believe that he has one plan. However, we do believe that in different times, in different places, with his people, God has employed a a, a different variety of of means and methods to keep that plan chugging along, all right? So let me uh, express that with some examples. First, um, we just recently studied Exodus. What happened at, at Mount Sinai? God gave his people the law of Moses, the law of Moses. So for that time, for God's people, God gave them, he employed the method of law to move them along through his plan. And so after that, uh, uh, some time, they still were under the law, but then they established themselves as a nation and they had kings. And so for a time, God used human kings over one nation of Israel. And then for a time, he used uh, human kings over two nations of Israel and then eventually Israel stopped to exist as, a, as ancient Israel as we know it, as we think of it in the Old Testament. And during that time, he also employed prophets at times and not at other times to, to bring his word and again to, to move his plan along. Now, we know, being New Testament Christians, that every single one of those things pointed to one thing, the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ. And so at that time and in that place, God employed the method of sending his son to earth to save his people. Now, 
Uh, I think it being Palm Sunday, this is a great example of how God's changing of methods can either meet our expectations or not. So what happened as Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem, the people expected Jesus to become the prophet king, the Messiah. And so they laid the palm branches down. They laid their coats down before him, expecting, fully expecting Jesus to take the throne, a human throne in Jerusalem. But what did God have planned? Something completely different. God had changed the means and the methods. He, had, he was using a method that, that we or the people there had, had not been used to or did not expect. And so the, the idea here is even after Christ has come and, and Jesus lived his life and died on the cross and rose again, God still changes the means and methods that he uses to accomplish his plan. There are, we are a church that is diverse throughout the world. And different cultures and different scenarios call us to live out our mission in different ways. So what am I getting at here? What am I getting at? What's the point of me uh, going on and on about this? Listen, uh, while methods and means change, because even now, again, as a church, uh, God is using the church temporarily and with through different methods and means to accomplish his eternal mission. So while methods and means change, God's purpose will not fail and it does not change. This passage represents that, and this idea is there. We have this rule that God gives us, and I think in this time where our lives have been upended, this concept is very important for us to understand and grab onto. So what hasn't changed in our lives recently? What hasn't changed? The fact that God has a plan to expand and grow and accomplish his kingdom hasn't changed. The Great Commission is still in here. It hasn't gone away. God's command to be worshipped. His deservedness of worship hasn't changed. God deserves to be worshipped no matter what. But what has changed? I mean, well, everything, but I mean, certainly, how we have done life, how we have done worship, how we have done church, it's changed. It's changed for a time at least. The landscape of our lives has changed. And so, first of all, let's be encouraged. Let's be encouraged. Praise the Lord that we have cameras and audio and we have the internet where even though we are separate we're not shoulder to shoulder like we'd like to be like we're used to being but but through technology we can sit at the throne of god at the base of the throne of god and worship together as a church family as brothers and sisters in christ and just because we're shoulder to shoulder because that method has changed now doesn't mean it doesn't count As I was thinking about this concept, I was drawn to a quotation from our Directory of Public Worship. Uh, That's one of the founding documents of our denomination. And they uh, quoted the Scots Confession of 1560. You know the one. Uh, And it says this. I think it's interesting and relevant. It becomes all things, it says, to be done decently and in order. Not that we think any policy or an order of ceremonies can be appointed for all ages, times, and places, for as ceremonies which men have devised but are temporal, so they may and ought to be changed when they foster superstition rather than edify the kirk, which is fancy for church. What is that quote saying? It's saying, listen, there, there is no liturgy for all time. There is no style of worship for all time. There is no method of worship for all time. We must adapt and, and uh, flex to our circumstances. This passage from Galatians 6 highlights this concept, the the concept that God's purpose remains while the circumstances change. Paul is wrapping up Galatians. He's still upset. We can see this by verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you in my own hand, he says. It's a strange 
phrase to us, but what he's saying is, you need to pay attention. I don't want to say this again. All right, and you need to pay attention, Galatians. And he's a very few sentences away from the end, and, and he ends on this note, verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, <laughs> for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What he's saying is, listen, I've already been persecuted for the truth of the gospel. I don't want to deal with this topic with you again. This is the end of what I'm talking about. This is the end of this discussion. And so he ends this whole book of Galatians with a guiding principle, a rule, he calls it. We can see that in verse 16, as for all who walk by this rule. Now, what's, what's, what's important to understand is this word rule is the word canon, not like a canon, but uh, the, the word that we use for talking about the canon of Scripture. So uh, what he's saying is when we talk about the canon of Scripture, we're saying you know, Genesis to Revelation, our, our church father said, this is the standard by which we measure Scripture. There is nothing outside of this that can be considered Scripture, and nothing inside of this canon can be changed. So Paul is, is saying, I'm giving you a canon. I'm giving you a standard. I'm giving you a truth by which you can live your lives. And this rule that he gives us can be followed and should be followed by any Christian, any church, in any context. And so this rule is just like God's purpose. It does not change. While our circumstances and our scenario that, it, that our lives find itself in may change, the standard, the rule, does not. So as he leads up to verses 15 and 16, where we find the rule, uh, he, he makes some, some final comments. And the first comment he makes, we see in verses 12 and 13, he makes a declaration about these legalists. He makes a declaration about um, these, these Judaizers, these folks from the circumcision party. And the, the basic gist of this declaration is this, legalism, the legalism that they brought to you, the legalism, the rules they try to enforce on you, they aren't about God. And the way he says it is, Galatians, listen, what they've been teaching isn't really about you. Take a look at verse 12 with me. We're going to do just the first part. It says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. This phrase, make a good showing, means to appear physically appealing. So, uh, these Judaizers, these circumcision party folks, are demanding the Galatians be circumcised to be saved. What Paul is saying here is, listen, that's not about you. It's not about your salvation. They're not concerned for you. What are they concerned for? Their own reputations. They want to look good. And so they are forcing you, coercing you to do this thing. And so rather... Uh, they were more concerned with the Gentiles submitting to a religious tradition instead of their salvation. They weren't actually concerned that the, are the Galatians going to be saved? We have to get them circumcised. No, they, they really wanted them just to simply do what they wanted them to do to make themselves look good. There's an important connection to make here. I think that the concept that, that Paul is declaring here about legalists is important for ourselves to kind of measure, to diagnose in ourselves, but also to understand about legalists in general, we face them in our own time. And the connection, the, the, the point here is oftentimes, not always, I think sometimes legalists can be concerned for their own behavior. As, uh, when we are in a legalistic mode in our mindset, sometimes we can beat ourselves up about our own morality. But generally, what do we notice about legalists? Uh, they are less concerned with their own personal holiness and more concerned with the behavior of others around them. So a legalist who makes up their own rules, in a sense, they set their own standards, what's the, the common factor with all those legalists? They generally can obey those rules. They, they consider themselves the bee's knees of holiness 
uh, the, based on the rules that they have made. And so I think it's, it's good for us to just understand that um, this behavior, it's problematic. It's problematic. I think online worship, in fact, is a good example to kind of tease this out. A few months ago, I think it would have been fair to say that there were many in the church, many in church leadership even, uh, who would have said online worship doesn't count. We can't just worship online and and have it be worship. Uh, It doesn't meet these certain criteria that we have set, but now it's all that we have. It's all that we have, and and praise the Lord that we have it because we we don't have our normal circumstances in which we, we prefer to meet. The question then arises, well, Ransom, how do we know it's okay? And I was thinking about that as I was kind of taking this, this rabbit trail of thinking about legalism in our own day, and I, I came to think about the woman at the well. So Jesus took his disciples to Samaria. The Samaritans uh, in Jesus' day were hated by the Jews. The Jews were hated by the Samaritans. There was, there was complete division. And Jesus met this woman at the well, and they had a conversation. And, and during the conversation, I'm summarizing very quickly, during the conversation, uh, she made the, the comment that she couldn't worship God because she wasn't allowed to go to the temple in Jerusalem. She couldn't go to that place where you had to go physically to worship God. And since she couldn't go there to worship God, she could not worship God. And here is Jesus' response. This is from John 4. He says to her, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so what we have to understand, brothers and sisters, is that God has told us how he wants to be worshipped. We call that the regulative principle. We're not saying worship him any way you want. What we're saying is God has told us how he wants to be worshipped, and it is not, does not include a location. It does not include a style. It includes spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And so that's a, a measurement of, of legalism. They, they are not concerned for the Galatians. They're not concerned for God. They're concerned simply for themselves. And he goes on. It says in the second part of 12, and in order, only in order, the reason they're, they're forcing the Galatians to be circumcised is only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And so, again, Paul is saying, man, these Judaizers have other nefarious motives for their work. He's saying the only reason there are among, that those that are among you are demanding you get circumcised is to save their own skin, their own comfort. They're simply succumbing to the pressure of the Judaizers. The Judaizers are saying, you have to do this. And to avoid that persecution, there are those amongst the Galatians who are saying, let's do it. And they're making others do that as well. Now, Paul, in the beginning of verse 13, points out a major issue with this type of philosophy, demanding others to adhere to your rules. Look at verse 13, for even those who are circumcised. So what is the rule they have set? Be circumcised. And he says, for even those who are circumcised, what? Do not themselves keep the law. Uh, I was thinking about the, the concept, I was trying to understand the concept of this verse, and I was drawn to my past when I had first moved to Florida with Julie um, and uh, for seminary. I got a job uh, with a local electronics company with a good friend of mine named Alan, and um, Alan and I were both young, we had little kids, and uh, we were working the only two employees in this small electronics company, and I tell you, uh, when I first started working there, I had a set of rules. I had a set of rules for myself, and, and my rules revolved around how you do work throughout the day. 
And so I did my work a certain way. I had a certain philosophy of how I would carry out my day, how I would do my work. And what's interesting about this story, what called my attention to the story from my past is that Alan had a different set of rules. Okay, Alan wasn't a wrong set of rules, but it was a different set of rules. But in that moment where I made my rules law, I made my rules the, the, the touchstone, the, the canon, if you will, of the office, what happened? I was blinded completely to my own shortcomings. And so it wasn't that Alan was wrong, but I made him wrong. And because I made him wrong by my own rules, I could not see my own shortcomings, my own problems. Now, it's fair to mention that Alan at one point did set the dumpster on fire at our, our office building. I did not ever do that. And so on that, I would say that I was uh, probably more righteous than him as far as dumpster fires. But um, the idea here that I'm getting at has been highlighted the last two weeks, the last couple sermons, and that is we cannot, church, we cannot have an accurate view of our spiritual health if we compare ourselves to others. I cannot say, wow, I'm better than that person, or I'm worse than that person, or I'm the same as that person, or any, any kind of comparison. I can't do that and have an accurate view of my own spiritual health. And so in legalism, what happens? We get so wrapped up in the rules that we make for others. We get so wrapped up in how things ought to be, we lose complete focus on ourselves. And so here, those who are circumcised, what wouldn't they do? What weren't they doing? They weren't following the law in any way. Then Paul bookends this, these couple of phrases with uh, the same point. He's repeating a point, and he says here in the second part of verse 13, what do they desire? They desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. You see, the, the, the Judaizers, what do they really want? Do they want the Galatians to be saved? No, they didn't really care about that. Do they want to please God? Not necessarily. I mean, I think that was the guise of why they made these rules and tried to enforce these rules, but the reality is they wanted to put up good numbers, good circumcision numbers. They wanted to boast. That word there means to show off verbally. And so what is Paul saying in 12 and 13? What is the concern of the legalist? Is it the salvation of others? No. Is it the expansion of the gospel? No. Is it even pleasing God in the way that he wants to be pleased? It's not. What's the concern of a legalist? Their own reputation and their own comfort. Their own rules. What they're saying, what a legalist says in their heart and often to others is, listen, adhere to my rules. My rules are the standard. Adhere to them. You need to follow them. I am fine. You are not. And in a lot of ways, what they're saying is, don't embarrass me. I've got this figured out. You've got to be like me if we're going to get, keep this thing together. Thankfully, we have verse 14 because for, verse 14 helps us to understand what a a proper focus looks like. If we're focused on ourselves and our rules, we, we become legalists and we miss out on the, the accuracy. We cannot see who we are or our sin. But rather, here's what Paul says. He says in verse 14, but be far, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying? Far, far be it from me to boast. Understand, Paul was an exceptional Pharisee. Paul was an, ex, was an exceptional Jewish religious person. And so if he had the ability to boast, if he could boast in his Jewishness, he could have done so with gusto. He was a great Jewish religious person. He was a pretty great at being a Jew. But what he says here, far be it from me 
to boast in that. He's saying, may it never come to pass that I boast in those things. Those things don't count. They don't matter. I shouldn't brag about those things. But then he says this. What should he boast in? The cross of our Lord Jesus. Second part of verse 14. So Paul is coming to this concluding thought, which is this. When all is said and done, when all is said and done, no matter how you've lived your life, the, the, our only hope, the only hope we have is an accurate gospel. You see, the only work that counts is not the work that we've done for others or the work that we've done for God. The only work that counts, literally counts, is the work that God has already done for us. Do you understand? You see, we can't make another, enough other people do our rules to, to be... Uh, considered righteous or justified. We can't even adhere to the rules ourselves well enough to be found righteous. And so it's important for us to understand that no, no style of worship justifies us before God. No method of discipleship or how we do church makes us right before Him. We can only boast in the work that has covered our sin and empowers us to good works. And the good news, the good news is that is not our work. We didn't do it. And so God's complete and perfect action on behalf of the dead sinner is all that counts. And so what is our boast? We we, we should not boast in our performance. We should not boast in the good we have done. What should be the only thing we can brag about? It is this, God saved me. God saved me. Yeah, even me. That's the only thing that we can brag about. It's the only thing we can verbally show off about is the fact that God, for some reason, unconditionally has come to this dead sinner and has made me alive to believe in Jesus Christ. And this truth that Paul lays out in verse 14 is the basis for the rule that he sets. The truth that God has done the work. And so think back to the introduction. Think about these means and methods that change. God's purpose remains constant consistent and it will prevail and so he's giving us a rule a rule that is for all christians of any context any context they find themselves let's take a look at verse 15 beginning of verse 15 for those of us who have been following along following along in the sermon series it'll sound familiar it says for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision this is almost a direct quote from galatians 5 6 and uh, Galatians 5, 6, there's a, we have a sermon on our website about that, and you can get more detail there. We're going to quickly review this. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So it's slightly different than what we've read here, but as it's kind of a reminder, what does this verse mean? It means that Christ has called you in to his kingdom, into his economy, if you will, through faith. So we have, we've entered into the, the Jesus. We're no longer in the law. We're in Jesus. And so as we operate in this Jesus kingdom, in Christ's purposes, we can't look to our works to justify us. That's what it means when circumcision it does not count. Obedience for our righteousness, obedience for our justification doesn't operate. It doesn't function in the world of Christ nor does disobedience. So we can't obey to earn our justification. We already have it through Jesus, nor can we do whatever we want. What computes 
in the economy of Christ, what this verse is talking about is faith working through love. We're back to this cycle of deepening our faith. So what it means is, if you want to be closer to Christ, if you want to experience the, the economy of Christ, here's what you have to do. You have to learn, affirm, obey. Learn, affirm, trust. It's that cycle of learning more about who Jesus is, who God is, affirming that it is true, and then living like it's true. And as we do that, what happens? Our faith gets deeper, and as our faith gets deeper, what happens? Our love comes to life. It animates our love. And as our love for others and our love for God comes to life because our faith is getting deeper, what happens? We work. We work. We do things for others. We serve one another. The fruits of the Spirit are born. So this verse finishes differently. It says, listen, the same thing. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. Work does not justify you. Sin does not satisfy you. Why? Why? What's the end of this rule? The rule is this. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. What counts? A new creation. A new creation. What Paul is talking about here is what he talks about again in 2 Corinthians 5.17, probably the most famous use of this phrase. He says there, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new creation here is the image of God bringing a new object into existence. There's something you were before that is gone, and God has recreated you into something brand new. Why? Because of the faith that he has given you for Jesus Christ. And so what's the meaning of verse 15? The meaning is your works can't earn you anything. Who you are, where you came from, does not count for you or against you. What counts? The only thing we can rely on, the only truth that really is a foundation for what we do is the truth that is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross gives us value. The cross gives us truth. It gives us a standard. So if we rewind to the beginning of the book of Galatians, the whole book of Galatians is going to flash before your eyes. Think about what happened. Paul starts off by saying, you can't earn your salvation. You can't do it. You cannot be justified through works. You can only be justified through faith. And what does faith come from? Faith comes from that life-giving action of God uh, on behalf of the dead sinner. And we can't earn our salvation. Why? Because it is given freely to us on behalf of those works. And so that's, that's what's happened. That's Galatians in a nutshell. And then he comes to this. This is the rule. And there's a truth that underlies this rule. And that is the fact that God has made you a new creation through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the bedrock truth to all of this, to the whole book of Galatians. God has made you a new creation through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's implications to that. Because of this truth, because of the freedom that brings us, and because of the unity that creates among God's people, no matter our past, no matter our ethnicity, no matter our socioeconomic whatever, no matter how our immediate cultural or our, our, our situational context, what are we free to do? We are freed by the works of Jesus to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're free from the constraints of previous methods or means that we used. This promise, excuse me, this rule comes with a promise. It says in verse 16, and 
As for all who walk by this rule, what? They will receive peace and mercy. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, speaking of the church. Peace and mercy. As we live by this truth, as we live by this canon, this standard, that that when we have faith in Jesus Christ, God has made us anew. We will receive peace. God promises that he will provide the blessing of peace to those who rely on the work of Jesus. If we rely on the work of Jesus, God will give us peace. Ransom, how is that possible? Haven't you heard of the coronavirus? Haven't you heard of COVID-19? Haven't you heard what's going on? And here's what I want to say. Listen, the, the salvific work, the work of our salvation has been done. It's not being done. It has been done. It's in the past. It's complete. So yes, we will face calamity. We will face suffering. We will face sickness. We will face death. We will face all kinds of brokenness in this world. But what is our peace? What is our comfort? Nothing can touch us in eternity. Nothing. That's a peaceful thought. We are free to, 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 to be free from the, 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 there's no residue of this world in eternity. We're also given mercy. Mercy means leniency and compassion showed toward offenders. <laughs> Towards offenders, I think it's fascinating that mercy is included here. Listen, what are we for sure? Sinners. We're sinners. We judge. We're legalists. We think our rules are best. We miss our own sin and we're blind to it at times. But when we, when we trust the work of Jesus Christ, what happens? Our sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. We are atoned for. And so God has mercy on us Sinners saved by grace. There's a lot here, and if I, if I could have you hear one thing this morning, if I could boil it down to one nugget of truth, this is what I want you to hear in this time, what I think this passage has to say to us as a church, and that is God's mission is not bound by means or methods. Praise the Lord. It's not bound by means or methods. What is it bound by? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. This rule that we've been given, the fact that, that if we live by the fact that we are a new creation of the cross of Christ, it's freeing. We can follow it in spirit and truth, even though our circumstances cause us to do things in different ways. Okay, sure, we can worship online or in person. Let's say the economy recovers quickly or it doesn't at all. Maybe we're social distancing for another 30 days, maybe for another 24 months. Maybe if you take the, the collection of our lives, the collective uh, kind of story of our lives, and either it's one of prosperity or one of sadness, here's the deal. We have a mission, no matter any of those circumstances, no matter any of those criteria, we have a mission and we have an unchanging truth to lead us. God has recreated us through the cross of Christ. We're a new creation. As we follow that canon, that rule given by Scripture, as we live that truth out, as if it is true, we're new. Be sure of it. Listen, let's be sure. Methods and means will change. This is a weird time, but it's not the last time that we experience a weird time in our lives. Methods and means will change, but here's the reality. God's mission will not fail. That means people will still come to know the Lord as their Savior. That means that that you and I, 
as we live out this truth, what will we receive? There's a promise here. We will receive peace in unpeaceful times and mercy even though we're sinners. We can rely on the fact that even though methods change, even though circumstances change, God's plan will be accomplished. Can you pray for us? Lord, in these times, I need your peace. I need your mercy. At times I feel as though I'm managing all the unprecedented ideas and things that have to be handled. At times I feel like I'm being tossed around in the waves. And the reality is in both of those situations, I need you, I need your peace. And the reality is, at times I'm depending on myself and at times I'm living out the truth that I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. May I live that truth out more and more in my life. May I pursue a deeper faith, believing that that is true, learning more about what that means, affirming that those things are true, and then living as if it is true. I am a new creation. And Lord, I need mercy. I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace alone. My works count for nothing. All that counts is the work that you have done for me on my behalf. Not because I've earned it, but because you love me. Lord, I pray that you would sustain our church, keep our relationships intact. For all those listening, I pray that you would convict them of this truth, that there is no hope in this world apart from the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.